Book One, Chapter Five of Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement by William Bradford, rendered into modern English by Harold Paget. Book One, Chapter Five. After humble prayers to God for his protection and assistance, and a general conference, they consulted what particular place to pitch upon. Some had thought of Guiana, some of those fertile places in hot climates, others were for some parts of Virginia, where the English had already made entrance. Those for Guiana alleged that the country was rich, fruitful, and blessed with a perpetual spring, where vigorous nature brought forth all things in abundance and plenty, without need of much labor, and that the Spaniards, having much more than they could possess, had not yet settled there or anywhere very near. To this it was objected that though the country was fruitful and pleasant, and might yield riches and easy maintenance to the possessors, other things considered it would not be so fit for them. First, such hot countries are subject to horrible diseases and many noisome pests, which other more temperate places are free from, and they would not agree so well with our English bodies. Again, if they lived there and did well, the jealous Spaniards would never leave them in peace, but would dispossess them as they did the French in Florida, and the sooner because they would have no protection, and their own strength would be insufficient to resist so potent an enemy and so near a neighbor. On the other hand, against Virginia it was objected that if they lived among the English who had settled there, or so near them as to be under their government, they would be in as great danger of persecution for their religion as if they lived in England. And it might be worse, while if they lived too far off they would have neither help nor defense from them. At length the conclusion was reached that they should live as a separate body, by themselves, under the general government of Virginia, and that through their friends they should sue his majesty to be pleased to allow them freedom of religion. That this might be granted they were led to hope by some prominent persons of rank and influence who had become their friends. Whereupon two members of the congregation were sent to England at the expense of the rest to arrange the matter. They found the Virginia Company anxious to have them, and willing to grant them a patent, with as ample privileges as they themselves had or could grant, and to give them the best assistance they could. Some of the principal officers of the Virginia Company did not doubt that they could obtain the king's grant of liberty of religion, confirmed under his broad seal. But it proved a harder piece of work than they expected, and, though many means were used to accomplish it, it proved impossible many of high standing used their influence to obtain it though one of the king's chief secretaries sir robert nanton was against them and others urged the archbishop to give way to it but it proved all in vain they succeeded however in sounding his majesty's mind and found that he would connive at them and not molest them provided they behaved peaceably but to allow or tolerate their claim to religious freedom by his public authority under his seal was found to be impossible this was all the leading officials of the virginia company or any of their best friends could do though they persuaded the congregation at leyden to proceed with the undertaking believing that they would not be troubled with this answer the messengers returned this damped their enthusiasm and caused some distraction many feared that if they should unsettle themselves and count upon these hopes it might prove dangerous and be a sandy foundation 
Indeed it was thought they might better have taken this understanding for granted, without making suit at all, than to have it thus rejected. But some of the chief members thought otherwise, and that they might well proceed, and that the king would not molest them, even though, for other reasons, he would not confirm it by any public act. And it was further contended that if there was no security in the promise thus intimated, there would be no great certainty in its further confirmation, for if afterwards there should be a desire to wrong them, though they had a seal as broad as the house floor, it would not serve their turn, for means would be found to reverse it. With this probability of success they urged that they should trust to God's providence for the outcome, as they had done in other things. Upon this resolution other messengers were dispatched to close with the Virginia Company as well as they could, and to procure a patent with as good and ample conditions as possible, also to arrange with such merchants and other friends as had manifested interest, to participate in the accomplishment of this voyage. For these ends they were instructed upon what lines to proceed, otherwise to conclude nothing without further orders. Here it will be necessary to insert a letter or two bearing on these proceedings. Sir Edwin Sandys in London to John Robinson and William Brewster at Leiden. After my hearty salutations, the agents of your congregation, Robert Cushman and John Carver, have been in communication with some of the more important members of His Majesty's Council for Virginia, and by presentation of the seven articles subscribed with your names, have given them such satisfaction as has decided them to further your wishes as well as possible for your own and the public good. Several particulars we will leave to the faithful report of your agents, who have carried themselves here with a discretion that is as creditable to themselves as to those they represent. Having requested time to confer with those who are interested in this undertaking, about several particulars, it has been very willingly assented to, and so they now return to you. If, therefore, it may so please God to direct you that on your parts there occur no just impediments, I trust by the same direction it shall appear that on our part all reasonable assistance will be given. And so I leave you with your undertaking, which I hope is indeed the work of God, to the gracious protection and blessing of the highest. Your very loving friend, Edwin Sandys, London, November 12, 1617. John Robinson and William Brewster at Leiden to Sir Edwin Sandys in London. Right Worshipful, our humble duties, with grateful acknowledgment of your singular love, especially shown in your earnest endeavor for our good in this weighty business about Virginia. We have set down our request in writing, subscribed as you wished by the majority of the congregation, and have sent it to the Council of the Virginia Company by our agent John Carver, a deacon of our church, whom a gentleman of our congregation accompanies. We need not urge you to any more tender care of us, since under God, above all persons and things in the world, we rely upon you, expecting the care of your love, the counsel of your wisdom, and the countenance of your authority. Notwithstanding, for your encouragement in the work, we will mention these inducements to our enterprise. 1. We verily believe and trust that the Lord is with us, unto whom and whose service we have given ourselves in many trials, and that he will graciously prosper our endeavors according to the simplicity of our hearts therein. 2. We are well weaned from the delicate milk of our mother country, and inured to the difficulties of a strange and hard land, which by patience we have largely overcome. 3. 
the people are for the most part as industrious and frugal we think we may safely say as any company of people in the world four we are knit together as a body in a most strict and sacred bond and covenant of the lord of the violation whereof we make great conscience and by virtue whereof we hold ourselves straitly tied to all care of each other's good five lastly we are not like some whom small things discourage or small discontents cause to wish themselves at home again we know what we can expect both in england and in holland and that we shall not improve our material well-being by our departure whereas should we be forced to return we could not hope to regain our present position either here or elsewhere during our lives which are now drawing towards their periods these motives we have been bold to put to you and as you think well to any other of our friends of the council we will not be further troublesome but with our humble duties to your worship and to any other of our well-willers of the council we take our leaves committing you to the guidance of the almighty yours much bounden in all duty john robinson william brewster leyden december fifteenth sixteen seventeen for further light on these proceedings here follow some other letters and notes mr john robinson and mr william brewster at leyden to sir john worstenholm in london right worshipful with due acknowledgment of our gratitude for your singular care and pains in the business of virginia we have sent enclosed as is required a further explanation of our judgments in the three points specified by some of his majesty's honorable privy council and though we are grieved that such unjust insinuations are made against us we are glad of the opportunity of clearing ourselves before such honorable personages the declarations we have enclosed the one is more brief and general which we think fitter to be presented the other is somewhat more comprehensive expressing some small accidental differences which if you think well you can send instead of the former our prayer to god is that your worship may see the fruit of your endeavors which on our parts we shall not fail to further and so praying you as soon as convenient to give us knowledge of the success of the business with his majesty's privy council and accordingly what your further pleasure is so we rest your worshipful in all duty john robinson william brewster leyden january twenty seventh sixteen seventeen the first brief declaration was this as regards the ecclesiastical ministry namely of pastors for teaching elders for ruling and deacons for distributing the church's contribution as also for the two sacraments baptism and the lord's supper we agree wholly and in all points with the french reformed churches according to their public confession of faith the oath of supremacy we shall willingly take if it be required of us and if it be not sufficient that we take the oath of allegiance john robinson william brewster the second and ampler declaration was this as regards the ecclesiastical ministry etc as in the former declaration we agree in all things with the french reformed churches according to their public confession of faith though some small differences may be found in our practices not at all in the substance of the things but only in some accidental circumstances one their ministers pray with their heads covered ours uncovered two we choose none for governing elders but such as are able to teach which ability they do not require three their elders and deacons are annual or at most for two or three years ours perpetual four 
our elders deliver admonitions and excommunications for public scandals publicly before the congregation theirs more privately in their consistories five we administer baptism only to infants of whom one parent at least is of some church which some of their churches do not observe though in this our practice accords with their public confession and with the judgments of the most learned amongst them other differences worth mentioning we know of none then about the oath of supremacy as in the former declaration subscribed john robinson william brewster part of a letter from the messenger in england who delivered the foregoing to mr john robinson and mr william brewster at leyden your letter to sir john worstenholm i delivered into his own hands almost as soon as i received it and stayed with him whilst he opened and read it there were two papers enclosed which he read to himself and also the letter and while reading it he asked me who will make them viz the ministers i answered that the power of making ministers rested with the church that they were ordained by the imposition of hands by its fittest members that it must rest either with the church or with the pope and the pope is antichrist ho oh, said sir john what the pope holds good as the trinity we do well to assent to but we will not enter into dispute now as for your letters he said he would not show them lest he should spoil all he had expected that you would be of the archbishop's mind in regard to the appointment of ministers but it seems you differed i could have wished to know the content of your two enclosures at which he stuck so much especially the larger i asked his worship what good news he had for me to write to-morrow he told me very good news for both the king's majesty and the bishops had consented he said he would go to the chancellor sir fulke greville this day and next week i should know more i met sir edwin sandys on wednesday night he wished me to be at the virginia court next wednesday where i purpose to be i hope next week to have something certain to communicate i commit you to the lord yours s b london february fourteenth sixteen seventeen these things being lengthily discussed and messengers passing to and fro about them they were long delayed by many rubs at the return of the messengers to england they found things far otherwise than they expected the virginia council was now so disturbed with quarrels among themselves that no business could well go forward this will appear in one of the messengers letters which follows robert cushman in england to the congregation at leyden i intended long since to have written to you but could not effect it but i doubt not that mr b has written to mr robinson the main hindrance to the Virginia business is the dissensions in the Council of Virginia. The cause of the trouble is that recently Sir Thomas Smith, weary of his many offices, wished the Company of Virginia to relieve him of being its treasurer and governor, he having sixty votes, Sir John Worstenholm sixteen votes, and Alderman Johnston twenty-four. But Sir Thomas Smith, finding his honors diminished was very angry and raised a faction to contest the election and sought to tax sir edwin sandys the new governor with many things which would both disgrace him and deprive him of his office as governor in these contentions they still stick and what will result we are not yet certain most likely sir edwin will win and if he does things will go well in virginia if otherwise they will go ill we hope in some two or three court days things will be settled meanwhile i intend to go down to kent and come up again about fourteen days or three weeks hence unless these contentions or the ill tidings from virginia of which i will now speak should wholly discourage us 
Captain Argol came home from Virginia this week. Upon receiving notice of the intentions of the council, he left before Sir George Yardley had arrived there, so there is no small dissatisfaction. But his tidings are ill. He says Mr. Blackwell's ship did not reach there till March, owing to northwest winds, which carried them to the southward beyond their course. The captain of the ship and some six of the sailors dying, it seems they could not find the bay till after long beating about. Mr. Blackwell is dead, and Mr. Magner, the captain. In fact, Captain Argol says 130 persons on that ship died out of a total of 180. There were so many that they were packed together like herrings. They were ill with the flux, and they lacked fresh water. So here it is rather wondered at that as many are alive than that so many are dead. The merchants here say it was Mr. Blackwell's fault for packing so many in the ship. There was much grumbling at the time, and Mr. Blackwell was blamed for his disposition of them and his insults to them. They say the streets of Gravesend rang with their quarrelling, crying out at each other, Thou hast brought me to this, and I may thank thee for this. Heavy news it is, and I wonder how far it will discourage our project. No one here is much discouraged, they seem only to wish to learn by other men's misfortunes. As we desire to serve one another in love, so take heed of being enthralled by any imperious persons, especially if they seem to have an eye to their own advantage. It often troubles me to think that in this business all of us must learn, and none can teach, but better so than to depend upon such teachers as Mr. Blackwell was. He once laid a similar trap for Mr. Johnson and his people at Emden, which was their ruin. But though in that instance he managed to pluck his neck out of the collar, at last his foot is caught. No letters have arrived yet, as the ship Captain Argol came in is still on the west coast. All that we hear is his report. It seems he came away secretly. The ship that Mr. Blackwell went in will be here shortly. What Mr. Robinson once said has come true, that we should hear no good of them. Mr. B. is not well. Whether he will return to you or go north, I do not know. For myself I hope to see an end of this business ere I come, though I am sorry to be away from you. If things had gone straight forward, I should have been with you within these fourteen days. I pray God direct us, and give us the spirit which is fitting for such a business. Thus having summarily pointed at things which Mr. Brewster, I think, has more largely written of to Mr. Robinson, I leave you to the Lord's protection. Yours in all readiness, etc., Robert Cushman. London, May 8, 1619. A word or two by way of digression about this Mr. Blackwell. He was an elder of the church at Amsterdam, a man well known to most of them. He declined from the truth with Mr. Johnson and the rest, and went with them when they parted from the congregation in that woeful manner, which brought such great dishonor to God, scandal to the truth, and ruin to themselves in this world. But I hope notwithstanding, through the mercies of the Lord, their souls are now at rest with him in the heavens, and that they have reached the haven of happiness, though some of their bodies were thus buried in the terrible seas, and others sank under the burden of bitter afflictions. He, with some others, had prepared to go by way of London to Virginia. Being a private meeting, I take it a fast, in London, and being discovered, many of them were arrested, Mr. Blackwell being one. 
but he so glozed with the bishops and either dissembled or flatly denied the truth which he had formerly maintained and very unworthily betrayed another godly man who had escaped so that he might slip his own neck out of the collar that he won the bishop's favor but lost the lord's and was not only acquitted but in open court the archbishop praised him highly and gave him his solemn blessing to proceed on his voyage but if such events follow the archbishop's blessing happy are they that miss it it is much better to keep a good conscience and have the lord's blessing whether in life or death but to return to the concerns of the congregation at leyden at last after all these occurrences and their long waiting they had a patent granted them and confirmed under the virginia company's seal but these divisions had alienated many of their less constant supporters, and they were thus disappointed of much of their hoped-for and proffered means. By the advice of some friends the patent was not taken out in the name of any of their own members, but in the name of a Mr. J. Wincott, a religious gentleman then in the service of the Countess of Lincoln, who intended to go with them. But God so disposed things that he never went, nor did they ever make use of this patent, which had cost them so much labor and expense, as will appear. The patent being sent over for those at Leiden to consider, and also the propositions of such merchants and friends as would go with them, or participate in the adventure, and especially those, Mr. Thomas Weston, etc., on whom they chiefly depended for shipping and stores, they were requested to prepare with all speed and this matter of the patent is a true emblem of the uncertain things of this world which when men have toiled to acquire them vanish into smoke end of book one chapter five